Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. You know, it seems as though whenever we hear somebody talking about the qualities of leadership, inevitably he or she will end up speaking in terms of accomplishment, self-determination, influence, independence, and, well, power. That's the way of the world as we know it, I guess. But when Jesus talks about leadership, he offers up an entirely different criteria, a criteria that begins by being the servant of all. Well, today's message is actually all about the way of authentic leadership, according to Jesus. It's the second message in our current sermon series at East Church, and it's based on Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and particularly Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, which is all about James and John and their bid for leadership. Well, one thing is for certain regarding our text for this morning. It's that in approaching Jesus the way that they did, James and John, those wily Zebedee brothers, simply didn't get it. I mean, it occurs to me that basically what they were attempting there was an astonishingly bolder version of a maneuver that I suspect most of us learned as kids in the playground. It is the subtle but nonetheless important act of calling it. Now you remember what I'm talking about here. You wanted to get your turn on the swing set before everyone else, so just as soon as you were out the door and the swings were in sight, you shouted, I call first on the swings. Or if there was going to be a kickball game starting, and there usually was, uh, you'd say, I call being captain, or I call first ups. There was a guy, a kid in my school, Mark Federico, he was always calling first ups. And theoretically, you see, if you did that, that was enough to seal the deal for you. Now, I must confess that I was never particularly good at the art of calling it. But as I also recall, those kids who were good at it pretty much ruled the Opal Myrick School playground. You see, there's great benefits for being skilled, for having that, as the movie says, the particular set of skills on that playground. Of course, there's other names for this, right? Calling dibs, for instance. Or in the case of claiming the front seat on the car ride, it's calling shotgun. There you go. Whatever it's called, it all comes down pretty much to the same thing, doesn't it? It's about being first and best in prime position. Really, it's all about power and having it. So when James and John walk up to Jesus and first say to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. You've got to understand, it's pretty much to establish that whatever else Jesus might have to say about those who would be granted the right to sit at his right hand or left hand in glory. So far as James and John were concerned, 
The whole issue was now pretty much settled because they'd already called it. Now, I get it. I am simplifying this just a tad. But it's nonetheless true that for these two disciples, there was, this was no casual request. For what they were asking of Jesus, what they were claiming before Jesus, were in fact the highest places of honor in his glory. The power seats in the coming kingdom. It's interesting to note, by the way, that in Matthew's version of this particular story, it's James and John's mother who makes this request of Jesus, which gives the request a little bit of a softer edge. You know, now it's just a concerned parent looking out for her children. Jesus, they're good boys. They will serve you well. Do it for me. That's my translation of Scripture, by the way. Mark's gospel, however, cuts right to the heart of the matter, which is that it's James and John seeking out this honor for themselves. And the language that's used here actually bears this out. The original Greek of this passage suggests that more than asking, more than even wanting, the Zebedee boys were literally craving that place of power. And even the rest of the disciples could see immediately that this was nothing more than a brazen, self-seeking attempt to claim leadership at a moment when very soon the whole world would be taking notice. Because remember, in just a very few days, Jesus would be making his triumphal Palm Sunday entry into Jerusalem, and you know what happened after that. So James and John knew now was the time if they needed to secure their position. Clearly, as I said before, James and John did not get it. In the words of Mark Vitalis Hoffman of the United Lutheran Seminary, professor of biblical studies there, this is why Jesus answered this request, doubtless with considerable exasperation, by suggesting that they did not have a clue what they were asking for. James and John couldn't possibly conceive of drinking the same cup of suffering and death that Jesus would soon have to drink. These two eager beaver disciples had no understanding of what it really meant to be baptized with the same baptism that Jesus was to endure. Let's face it, all they could see was the glory of it. All they could envision at that moment was that they would be firmly enthroned with Jesus in his glory as the authentic leaders in God's kingdom. And to all of this, Jesus simply responds... And not for the first time, it should be noted. You want to be first in line? Really? You're ready to be the leader? You're craving greatness? Maybe, he says, you've forgotten how godless rulers throw their weight around. And how when people get a little power, it quickly goes to their heads. You are not remembering just how often and how easily these so-called great leaders become tyrants over the people. Well, know this, Jesus says, that's not how it's going to go for you. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For this is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. That's a message translation. I like that. Many who are held hostage. So says Jesus, if you're going to be my disciples, if you're going to lead in my name, and if you're going to do it authentically, that is the way that you need to walk. It's quite a story, really. And for me, the most perplexing thing about it is that even though we know how mistaken James and John were in making this request of Jesus, even though we know that, we do understand where it's coming from, right? I mean, let's be honest. By and large, in this culture, when we think of leadership, we think of things like accomplishment, self-determination, power, influence, autonomy, independence, and, by the way, volume. This week I heard a news commentator express the opinion that I have long held, actually, that one of the big problems in politics today is that no matter how honest or earnest or even wise someone happens to be, in these days in which we're living, it's virtually impossible for anyone who's quiet and unassuming or, God forbid, self-sacrificing to ever be elected to public office. And if they are, they get eaten alive. Well, to this I say, never mind politics, that's human nature. What's that ancient expression? Fortune favors the bold. Well, all too often it's precisely this aura of self-centered boldness that ends up passing for authority and leadership in these days. And as history has revealed again and again, that's usually not for the better. And trust me here, lest we think this is a wholly secular issue, the church is not immune to this. Writes Leonard van der Zee, another biblical commentator, he says that from medieval popes who vied with kings over territorial control to pastors who accumulated so much power they became corrupted by it, the church has repeated this mistake over and over and over again. I have seen, and I know you know of this, that churches are destroyed by that inauthentic style of leadership. In the end, you see, what we have in this world, and even at times amongst the faithful, is a failure to understand authentic leadership, which, as Jesus defines it in our text this morning, will always be marked by self-giving service. In knowing and in living unto the truth that the greatest of all will be the servant of all. And the thing is, this is not a novel concept in the Gospels. Jesus proclaims that truth in all four of the Gospels in one way or another. That, that many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. And, and how he said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as thee. See, what it all comes down to is that where the kingdom of God is concerned, this way on which Jesus even now is calling us to walk and on which we are called to lead others, it turns out to be 
the complete inverse of the world's idea of power and success and glory. As disciples of Jesus, you see, the way of truly authentic leadership happens not in being served, but in serving others in Jesus' name. And what does all this mean for us, friends? I dare say that none of us here, or at least I hope none of us here, are seriously vying for that position regarding that seat at the right hand of Jesus. I do think we understand that, as Jesus himself said, that that place is for those for whom it has been prepared. It is God's choice, not ours. Better for you and me, I think, to be about the work of the kingdom right here in our own little part of the world. But I do think all that said, there's a lesson here for you and I on Mountain Road. That even for those of us who simply try to live out our faith in normal, everyday kind of ways, there is a real temptation to settle into a receive mode in which all of life ends up being about our personal fulfillment, our goals, our ambitions, our dreams for our future. You know, when that happens, as life becomes for us more and more self-centered, we become less centered on God's purposes for our lives. We lose the authenticity of our leadership in following Christ. As Rick Warren has written in The Purpose Driven Life, while many believe that we're supposed to get the most out of life, that's not the reason God made you. You were created to add to life on earth, not just take from it. God wants you to give something back because you were created to serve God. And this applies no matter what you do in your life. Understand this. It doesn't matter whether you're working as a pastor or, or whether you teach or drive a truck or pick up garbage or you do brain surgery for a living. It does not matter. To quote Warren again, regardless of your job or your career, you are called to full-time Christian service. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. If you aren't serving, then you're just existing, and that's tragic, because life is meant for ministry. God wants us to learn to love. God wants us to learn to serve others holy and faithfully and unselfishly. At the center of the spiritual life and at the center of our Christian faith is the way on which Jesus calls each one of us here to walk and to live. It is the way of service. It's, it's the way of self-giving. It's the way of true sacrifice. And not only is it an example of true authority and authentic leadership in the church, it's also the way that our greatest leaders, the true saints of this world, even maybe a few sitting in our own pews, become known. Way back in the years I spent in seminary, we wannabe pastors were taught all about amongst other things, the different kind of power structures that exist within your average congregation. That was in a course, by the way, about Christian education, which I always found kind of interesting. Well, let just, it's all about power, 
structures. And let me say, 35 years later, it has been a nice bit of information to have. There is elected power, of course, in the church. The church officers, the deacons, the trustees, the committee leaders, the lay people who are chosen to act for the congregation between annual meetings and who, depending on how a church operates and how it relates to one another as a congregation, can yield a fair amount of power and influence. But then, along with that, there are also the people who have what you might call reputational power. And these are the people in the congregation who maybe don't hold an office at all. Maybe they never have, or else maybe they did years ago and they have stepped away from that part, but they are likely still a part of the church, and they have been for a long time, and they are generally people that everybody loves and everybody respects. Reputational power. These are the ones, friends, if there ever happens to be a difficult and uncertain vote to be taken in a church meeting, these are the people that everyone will just very quietly look over to see how they're voting before deciding themselves how they're going to vote. Trust me, folks, it happens. So there's elected power, there's reputational power, but let me share with you something that I have discovered over the years, that there is a third kind of power, and that's servant power in the church. I've seen it at work in every congregation I have ever served as a pastor, including this one. And the thing is, this spiritual servant power is very quiet. It's utterly unassuming, and it doesn't necessarily belong to those who are the movers and shakers of the church, though sometimes it is. Truth be told, sometimes you might not even know who they are, folks or at least not until their work has touched you in some way for the better, and maybe not even then. But believe me when I tell you, this power is big stuff. These are the people who send anonymous notes of encouragement. These are the people who somehow seem to know when a plate of brownies or a dinner casserole is just the thing to ease a a troubled mind, and an empty belly after a hard day. These are the people who go out of their way to offer a friend or neighbor a ride to church on Sunday morning or to go to the Saturday night bean supper. Hint, hint. <laughs> These are the ones who come to the pastor with some kind of gift, money or resources or something else, and somehow managed to get me involved in a covert operation to bring this gift to a perfect stranger, all with the explicit instructions to never, never reveal the donor. These are the people who pray persistently, who care constantly, who serve without question and who love without limit, all because that's the way Jesus has called them to live. That's how Jesus has called them to lead. And they're not people who believe themselves to be privileged or entitled. And, and they certainly don't, generally speaking, think of themselves as powerful in any way. In fact, in my experience, quite often these folks are more like Isaiah in the Old Testament reading that Kat shared with us today. People who feel as though they're somehow unworthy 
or ill-equipped of the task of doing God's work. And yet, these are the people that when the Lord asks, they're the first ones to say, here am I, send me. And I'll tell you one other thing. These are the people, these ones who have servant power, they're the ones who keep the church, this church included, alive and moving and growing and on the way. Just think if what could happen if by God's grace and leading we all utilize a bit of that kind of power in our life together? Think of it. I pray that as we seek to walk the way of true and authentic discipleship, that this will be the power that propels us forward. And may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, The Way of Authentic Leadership. It was recorded during our October the 13th service of worship at East Congregational Church. And it's the second message in our current sermon series we're calling, The Way Of. Just a reminder that if you happen to be visiting New Hampshire about now, enjoying our spectacular fall foliage, and maybe you're looking for a place to come and worship, we'd love to have you join us at East Church. We gather every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road in Concord. And I would love to have the opportunity to greet you in person. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I thank you for listening. I do appreciate your support of this podcast wherever you happen to be listening. So be sure and keep in touch. You can do that by a voice message on the podcast page through Facebook or an email, however you like to communicate, I'd love to hear from you. So until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.